John, you've heard the new Arcade Fire album, right? No. No. <laughs> I was I was ruminating on Dang, this. Dang, I was going to ask you I'm, if it was transcendently brilliant or just regular brilliant. I just... I'm, I'm getting old. As I uh, slowly approach my third decade on this planet, I realize mm-hmm. I don't really listen to music anymore. I just kind of like, oh, a band I used to like came out with an album. Great. And it's not that I don't like Arcade Fire anymore. It's just it feels less urgent. Yeah, well, and, and it does sound different from their previous work. I guess A so. little more poppy, just a little out. less, I don't know, earnest maybe, and a little less rock and roll. It's Talking Heads presents Arcade Fire. Now. I think that's their <laughs> full title. John, everyone loves the Talking Heads. I guess. Everybody. Everybody? <laughs> Everybody? Yep. I, look, all right, I'm not going to... Your fascistic worldview will not dictate to me what music I should like and what music I should not like. I, I okay? will completely dictate that. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. you... Ooh, ooh. <sighs> I don't know, John, that happened to me years ago when I stopped listening to music. <laughs> well, you're a Weezer fan, so... <laughs> what does that have to do with you're, anything? You're used to disappointment. <laughs> That's true. I... I I have a clear experience with bands kind of changing direction, and well, I think it's just the nature of music being more fungible, mm-hmm. sort of. I, I guess you don't see that with um, filmmakers. You know, we talked about Paul Thomas Anderson a week ago. It's not like he he's now doing superhero movies. I guess that's true. Yeah, there's no. I mean, I would kind of, love to see a Paul Thomas Anderson superhero movie, but no, that would be boring. <laughs> what? Yeah. Paul Thomas he, would, he, would, he would be enigmatic. He would he would get drunk and I don't know stumble in the street or something like that in a, <laughs> a Bravura sequence, a four minute long take. <laughs> he could do like a really obscure weird character like Animal Man or something. Mm, yeah. yeah, Zebra Batman maybe. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Would it be canon though? How would you fit into the canon? <laughs> this is what you need writer room, writers rooms for. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we need to get out our Batman Bible. Yep, our show Bible. Welcome to the Aspiring Snops podcast. We'll talk about an album one of these days, but not today. <laughs> no. This week, we're talking the classic film, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Was this the first instance of um, a, a composer using a theremin? It sounds like it. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's it, the the style of this movie has become so ubiquitous. It's hard to tell where it begins and where it ends. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's just the influence of director Scott Diedrichson and um, stars like Keanu Reeves and Jennifer Connelly. I can't believe I've never seen this movie before. I mean, it is a classic. There's no denying that. Oh no! <laughs> you saw the 2008 version. Oh no! <laughs> What are we gonna do? Uh, and was... scene. <laughs> we obviously had set that up. Uh, yeah. This movie was uh, originally from 1951. It was remade in 2008 because only the best movies get remade, guys. Yeah. You have to have a certain mark of quality if you're going to be remade. Mm-hmm. Hollywood is very Hollywood is very judicious about its remakes. Absolutely. Only, only the remake the best. So I had seen this before. I had not. Because I, I have an aversion to these kind of 50s B movies. <laughs> Although this is kind of, um, this this actually, kind of, I think, launched the way of the 50s drive-in B movies. I mean, it wasn't as ubiquitous as you expect. This was this was released in 1951, and so only comes later than, you know, only later in the decade came, like, The Thing from Outer Space and The Man with Two Heads and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, garbage like that, that they, yeah. now, that they now parody on uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, I mean, I think this genre certainly existed before this movie, but I think this movie helped popularize that genre, and it became the kind of quintessential 50s movie, or that kind of style became uh, so ubiquitous. Yeah, which is surprising, considering it's directed by Robert Wise. Do you know who Robert Wise is? Uh, The name sounds familiar, but I had to look up his CV. Yes, I'll explain him to you. Oh, boy. (laughs) He first made his mark as the editor of a little movie called Citizen Kane. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was kind of his entry point into Hollywood, and then uh, throughout the 40s and 50s, he became one of these uh, assembly line directors. <laughs> um, because during this period, um, after World War II, people were just like, 
with they desperately wanted to go to the movies and so hollywood became this assembly line you know with writers rooms cranking out scripts then handing them off to lot b and then having directors shouting action cut okay moving on to lot c and i'm going to direct another movie this week wow yeah so i think he he followed up this movie with like i don't know more like crappy b movies like uh mystery in moscow and stuff like that until <laughs> um in the 1960s he became a little more reputable did a little movie called west side story what west side story i've never heard of this what is this movie about yeah. <laughs> again more b movies you know musicals now well and also he has a quite a pedigree for uh science fiction movies he also directed star trek the motion picture yeah and also the first adaptation of the Andromeda strain yes so that's also that's also kind of in his milia mm-hmm. not only Oh, wonderfully a production musicals like West Side Story and Sound of Music, but also these uh, great science sci-fi movies as well. I concur. <laughs> but Greg, I concur. What, well, are you, what are you saying about the Day of the Earth is still, John? Give us your impression. Uh, well, I love this movie. Okay, I think it's fantastic. I just there's something about it where it's just it achieves the right level of kitschiness, and <laughs> it, of course, it feels dated, but it's like the right kind of charming dated. And there's just, it, it has a strange energy to it and this strange kind of tone that I just find really absorbing that other, okay. other uh, films of its ilk, like say This Island Earth or <laughs> Them, just doesn't quite accomplish. And okay. once you get down to it, it also has a message. And even though it's very light on action, it's very kind of heavy on philosophy. Well, not very heavy on philosophy, but it has more of a point than those other like science run amok people from outer space kind of movies so that's why i appreciate it but well, other yeah other movies did at the time like um i think that's actually why they um why we remember them today the other movie i would compare this to is invasion of the body snatchers mm-hmm. yeah which is which was came out in the midst of the red scare so mm-hmm. very politically there's yeah it. there's yeah there's, it's a little polemic in that way but also has a clear message that i think still resonates today <laughs> about us versus them and things like that i mean i think that movie literally ends with someone pointing at the camera going and out there there <laughs> breaking yeah. the fourth wall uh-huh. there's a there's well, that a, happens that happens in this movie too yeah there's a certain level of earnestness in these kind of like 1950s b movies that's just hard not to be charmed by i find okay yeah i guess you're right mm-hmm. i mean but it's not important what i think Greg. what do you think as a as a newcomer i'll talk about a preachy movie jeez <laughs> No, you're right. This movie's brilliant. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the kitschiness. I actually don't like kitschiness. I don't <laughs> like looking back and seeing like bad production value and things like that. And actually, from that standpoint, the effects and things are still believable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, maybe not gorgeous. The production value, but... I think, still stands up in spite of this being released almost 60 years ago. I mean, maybe not gorgeous, but the, the special effects for the spaceship are actually quite impressive. Yeah. And, you know, character when it when it first arrives that's really impressive and so you're right it creates a good atmosphere it strikes the right balance of being a kind of utopic science fiction movie but also um pulling in like a lot of apocalyptic kind of ideas as well i mean the like cards on the table this movie has a very dim view of humanity dim view but also um it has an optimistic viewpoint in that the alien race that comes to to the united states <laughs> i should say earth but it's really it's about america no he, he lands in washington dc <laughs> exactly it's all about the america. important place yeah but i think it has this worldview that america has this potential to reach this utopia that's from another planet mm. and also i i just love the the brilliant conceit which is the greatest story ever told with spaceships and robots <laughs> yes uh there's obviously a huge christ allegory running through here yeah uh, well not it's i don't think it's that obvious I think it's pretty Which obvious. I enjoy. The more times you watch it. I mean, I've seen well, this movie yeah, about yeah. three times now. Every time I see it, it's like, oh, his, he, uh, the pseudonym he borrows is Carpenter. Which I think it's just perfectly subtle. Okay. If, it was, if, it was, if his name was John Carpenter, like, oh, your initials are JC, <laughs> then might have it went a little overboard. But he, yeah, I think that's a perfect little subtle analogy for this alien coming to Earth and basically being a Christ figure. Mm-hmm. In spite of that, you never see him, like, splayed with his arms out or anything like that. I guess so. I mean, well, It's there's... not like Man of Steel. You don't see him in a church with um, a stained glass window of Jesus next to his face. <laughs> I will defend Man of Steel to the end of the earth, all right? Yeah. <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> no, but I like, I like how kind of subtle the Christ allegory is in mm. this movie. Or it just it works in the perfect level of subtlety. 
Well, what I think is interesting going along with that whole Christ allegory is where Gort falls into it. We have okay. we have a little history. Gort being the most famous the most famous image of this movie. Yes. When you picture the day the Earth stood still, you picture Gort the robot. Mm-hmm. Gort is a robot, not really companion, but actually we find out like kind of master. It's really Gort who's calling the shots. Yeah, that's that's something that comes up apparently in the original story, which was originally titled Farewell to the Master. Yeah. The short story that this movie was based on was called Farewell to the Master and Gort. He wasn't called Gort, but he was apparently a master and Klaatu, the the human-like alien that comes to Earth, is more of his servant. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it's interesting going along with the Christ allegories because we have this savior come down to Earth to kind of quell the wrath of this giant capital G character who has the capability <laughs> to kind of destroy the planet if not kept unchecked. Yeah. So it's like, it's you know, you look at Klaatu, obviously he's a Christ allegory, but it's like you sometimes forget that like Gort is meant to be the Old Testament God kind of allegory as well. Yeah. And we see that early on, I guess. Um, if, if I have one criticism is that we don't see Gort be kind of a destructive force as much or at least as it's coming into this movie my expectation was that, was that things would go tits up and that Gort would be unleashed somehow <laughs> I think that was the intention but um, as, uh, budget wise they couldn't really bring that to fruition <laughs> okay maybe uh, maybe the just the limits of filmmaking in 1951 they couldn't mm-hmm. you, you get a sense of that towards the end when Helen uh, Patricia Neal has to go uh, give a message to Gort because Klaatu is incapacitated, uh, a.k.a. dead. Um, yeah. She has to go give a message to Gort, and Gort's been reactivated. He's killed two guards, and, you know, you get that great shot of, like, Gort's shadow towering over her, and she's, like, backing away, like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> like, you could get that sense that, like, there's this impending dread, and that if this movie had more of a budget and more of special effects, it would show Gort really kind of letting loose. But it's like, uh, we don't have the time. We don't have the money. Cut it there. Give the message. All right, Gort goes back to sleep mode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, A, I mean, this is a pretty innocent movie. I don't think they would kill our lead actress. <laughs> I guess that's true. But no, I mean, like, Gort does kill two guards, and I think it would have been cool if they, you know, showed Gort really kind of going buck wild, destroying some more tanks and artillery shells and stuff like that. Yeah, or demonstrating, I guess, his power. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just, it would make, in terms of dramatic storytelling, it would just make the story that much more effective, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. And then much more compelling. Um, however, yeah, you're right. Probably limits of film budget, filmmaking, production value, and also the actor who played Gort. I mean, <laughs> one thing that if you read the IMDb trivia for this movie, one thing that frequently comes up is the the guy that plays Gort mm-hmm. um, was cast because he was very tall. Unfortunately, he's also very weak <laughs> and wasn't able to stand in this heavy suit for very long. <laughs> and he was required to carry Klaatu back to the ship at one point, and obviously he's very weak, so <laughs> there's only so much he could do. Yeah. We keep mentioning this name, Klaatu. We should probably explain. <laughs> Who Klaatu is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Klaatu is an emissary from a distant planet 250 million miles away. Yes. And uh, Played by a British actor named Michael Rennie. Mm-hmm. But he gives that perfect, like, 1950s diction. He has yeah. that perfect, like, father-knows-best kind of, you know, uh, well, Bobby, on my planet. Yeah, just perfect, perfect non-regional diction. <laughs> and also just the just the, the look of him, just his face, how, like, angular he is. Mm-hmm. He And uh, he's even tall himself, so again, he just kind of seems very otherworldly just standing there. Mm-hmm. 
and so he's an emissary from a foreign planet, and he's come to Earth bearing gifts. But, of course, he's greeting humans, and humans shoot him immediately. <laughs> yeah. Now, to be fair, the gift he present does look like a weapon. It looks like a sonic screwdriver. Yeah, so, I, I don't know. Apparently, they, they know of human culture from radio transmissions that have been put out in the universe, so mm-hmm. I think he should have known. <laughs> Granted, they didn't have TV, so maybe you can visualize what a dagger looks like, but come on. Yeah, come on. Sharp things, you know, come on, glad to. Should have known. Mm-hmm. And so... After spending some time in the hospital, but healing very quickly, because, again, he's just so advanced and he's so smart, Klaatu is like, gather all your world leaders. I have a message for them. And, of course, the army is very suspicious of him. They're like, eh, no, you're going to stay here. <laughs> Klaatu's having none of that shit, and he's like, all right, I'm going to go hang out, take the, uh, take the identity of a human, and just kind of, like, see what this whole humanity shindig is about. And that's basically... It's it's very light on action, actually, because most of it is about this kind of fish-out-of-water story about this alien trying to see, you know, the best and worst in humanity. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the bulk of the movie, is him basically learning human culture, and that it puts up a great mirror to humanity when we're like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is a great leader here. You know, they go to the Arlington Cemetery, like, oh, this is the, the nature of war. The nature of humanity is war, yes. and, and honoring the dead, so... Mm-hmm. Um, that that's it's great from that standpoint. I got to say another another great kind of aspect to this movie, which could have gone very poorly, was the casting of his boy companion <laughs> named Robbie. <laughs> like like you said, he he escapes the hospital, um, goes under incognito as a human, mm-hmm. and winds up at a boarding house where a lot of other folks are staying. One of them is um, one of the, the other boarders there is uh, the woman Patricia, Patricia Neal, mm-hmm. but she also has a son named Robbie. Yeah. And he could have been, like, annoying, precocious, you know. He he kind of is. As you would expect a typical kid actor to be, but... I mean, going back to the whole Leave it to Beaver kind of thing, he's very, very much that archetypical, like, gee whiz, Mr. Carpenter, Yeah, let's go very to the earnest, movies. Um, yeah. <laughs> Almost cloying and annoying, yeah. but and I gotta say, the kid that plays him is, is kind of actually perfect. No, he's a pretty good actor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, especially when the kid has to kind of get suspicious and follow Mr. Carpenter and sees that he actually enters a spaceship at one point. Like, the actor plays yeah. it pretty straight. And again, Yeah, no he plays one... it straight. It's never, yeah, it's never cloying as, you know, kid actors can be. Mm-hmm. It's never it's never too showy, and it gets, um, I think maybe that's a credit to director Robert Wise, but those moments, like, they they go out on the city, they have a day together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Touring the, Washington, D.C. Which the mother is perfectly comfortable with. Hey, Bobby, yeah. why don't you go spend a day with this complete stranger? <laughs> It was it was a different time. <laughs> this is before Stranger Danger. Yeah. In any event, they tour Washington D.C., but their first stop is Arlington National Cemetery to see his father, who was killed in the war, mm-hmm. the Great War. And yeah, and that's given yeah, and that's given um, just the appropriate amount of gravity, I think. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the Lincoln Memorial. They read the Gettysburg, or not the Gettysburg Address. Uh, no, wait. No, they, that is the Gettysburg Address. Yeah, sorry. I, I've, yeah, there's two speeches in the in the memorial. Don't you know history? Shut up. <laughs> All right. Gah. They read the Gettysburg Address, and he's like, oh, those are great words. He must have been a great man. <laughs> this Klaatu, he's quite wise. Yep. He knows, he knows his stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, sort of knows his stuff. <laughs> I do love the kind of moments where he has to, like, kind of catch himself. Like there's a part, there's a part where uh, all the other boarders are playing cards and it's like you want to enter a hand <laughs> carpenter and it's like no uh, you can see that he's gonna start the uh, line with like my in my planet then he just kind of thinks better of it's like no no <laughs> yeah or it's like a literal hand like how does that work oh you mean the hand of cards <laughs> exactly or there's another time when they're going to view the spaceship and they're within a big crowd of people and the reporters are kind of asking everybody like are you afraid of the spaceman and you know obviously they ask uh Klaatu, and Klaatu is like i don't like the idea of fear being used in place of reason and you know <laughs> the reporter's like yeah 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 all right mr preachy let's move on <laughs> yeah <laughs> i had to say if there's one thing that's if there if there is one overarching message in this christ allegory story mm-hmm. if one thing is is about nuclear pro- proliferation i just said nuclear anyway <laughs> <laughs> nuclear proliferation and trying to prevent it yeah um but if there's something else that um which by the way we did not time this this was completely coincidental (laughs) in light of current events anyway well that's what makes this movie so universal is the fact that humanity's never gonna get any better (laughs) thanks john (laughs) 
you're 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 a bright spark in this world. <laughs> Thanks. Everyone can look for you for light and optimism. But I gotta say, what what also I found analogous to the present day was uh, the the media. That is true. Because a lot of the exposition of the movie is handled through radio broadcasts and things like that, and we can see how <laughs> how uh, the media didn't exactly uh, <laughs> contribute a lot to society in the same way it doesn't today. No, absolutely not. Uh, like, the first ten minutes are pretty much all done through radio broadcasts and television broadcasts. And, I, I don't know, part of me also wants to call this, like, insert shot the movie. <laughs> because so many of the, so much of this movie... Is just like quick insert shots of like, you know, oh, there's a curfew because the spaceman is on the loose. So a mom kind of hurries her two kids in. We see people mm-hmm. like, you know, driving around. Like we just get, you know, these quick, a lot of quick shots of just everyday people. And honestly, sometimes I feel like it does it a little too much. Not that I'm saying like I, you need yeah. to. Yeah. Well, I think it depends. It depends on the insert shot because mm-hmm. you you mentioned earlier um, the movie begins with the saucer kind of entering our atmosphere and they're reporting on it all around the world. Mm-hmm. And one of those insert shots takes place in France. Mm-hmm. It's people huddled around the radio, but you've got to communicate that this is France. So, of course, everybody <laughs> is in a beret. They're carrying and there's their... a person on a moped with a, with, a, with a baguette and a bottle of wine on the back. And <laughs> There are those cheesy moments. You're right about that. But I think there are also some effective insert shots, especially when we get out off the studio back lot and they're filming on real locations. Mm. I'm speaking for, of when the manhunt really ramps up, and there are soldiers and military police all around Washington D.C., and we see these like cars all gathering around. I think I think those moments work. It is actually quite impressive how much they actually shot in D.C. Because again, given the time period, you know, Studio One, Studio Two, you know, the fact yeah. that they actually went on location for some of this, some of these yeah. shots. Well, amazing also considering that none of the actors were in D.C. <laughs> so they did all their principal photography with the actors on studio backlots uh. in, in Hollywood. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of all the extras, in terms of the, I think the actual, well, not the actual spaceship, but um, crowd shots and things like actually in, physically in Washington, D.C. is actually very impressive. So you're right about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, impressive for a 1950s movie. Just... Exactly. Yes, we should. Yeah, we should also probably just take a step back. Yes, this movie was released in 1951. Mm-hmm. It is not paced <laughs> like a movie <laughs> that you would expect today. The performances are not as naturalistic as you would expect today. No. So even though you and I agree that it's brilliant, <laughs> that we both enjoy this movie, we enjoy it, it within the context of the time. <laughs> Well, this is something I always bring up on... Uh... So don't... Yeah, please, don't... Yeah, don't go to this movie expecting <laughs> War for the Planet of the Apes or the, the, the next <laughs> Avengers movie. Well, this is something they always bring up on uh, the next Picture Show podcast is this idea of, like, can a movie truly be dated? But uh, I, to, to, if you're going to view it as art, you have to view it in context. So you have to view it as movies were made back then you have to discuss that if you're going to discuss this movie well i yeah it depends on the what you mean by the term like dated Mm. like do you do you mean like literally it's a relic of the past and you know doesn't (laughs) i'm thinking now i'm thinking in terms of fossils (laughs) (laughs) obviously a, a a bone from some prehistoric creature doesn't you know mean a whole lot or it means a whole lot you know historically or scientifically but in terms of like whether it's it's interesting an, an interesting exhibit at the museum, mm-hmm. you know it means it means a couple different things. Yeah, I think I think our appreciation for this movie does lie in its historical importance and only mildly on the entertainment value of it. I mean, it's still entertaining. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it, historically I think it's a good timepiece. It's a mm-hmm. good uh, time capsule to see kind of like how movies were made. And again, if you're you want to see a B movie with flying saucers and kind of like, I think this is the absolute peak of that. Yeah. If you want to know what <laughs> I, yeah, we also have to give that qualifier. This is a B movie. This was a mm-hmm. movie designed to be cranked out and appeal to audiences that were fascinated by spacemen and flying saucers. Exactly. At the time. This was not designed to be an Academy award winning, you know, <laughs> when Bobby went to the movies with Klaatu, it's like, you could totally see them watching this movie. Yeah. Yeah, this is what they would see. Yeah, they weren't seeing Citizen Kane. No. And speaking of what, that's the movie I always go back to in terms of a movie that I still find, I still think can compel audiences today. Oh, absolutely. And I, yeah, I think I, that contributes to the movie's greatness. It's not just 
kind of historically important and you know technically the pinnacle of filmmaking mm-hmm. but also the fact that it that it holds this entertainment value today and so if i were compared to the day the earth stood still in terms of the technical importance and the entertainment value the day the earth stood still does not reach that regard well no but i mean is it still worth watching absolutely oh absolutely yeah. i mean come on if you compare any movie to citizen kane that's not fair <laughs> i know no, so well, I, I do, because my standards are impossibly high. <laughs> now, the 2008 version, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's one, thing, that's one thing this movie doesn't have. It doesn't have a giant black cloud um, eating an entire stadium. So. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so. It's huge demerit. Yeah. I mean, because I love this movie, I, I, I felt obligated to see the remake, see what they did differently. That one has more of a climate change a uh, call to action instead of a nuclear proliferate per, bleh, nuclear perforation <laughs> message like this mm-hmm. one does but whatever as of the times i suppose yeah Should we talk about the ending, I guess? I guess so. Because, yeah, you mentioned the term call to action, and this movie does have a very... <laughs> uh, does give a bit of a sermon at the end. Mm-hmm. So, Klaatu gets killed, and uh, Gort brings him back to the ship, and he's revived. And there's this... Resurrected, I believe, is the term. Before, John. <laughs> well, okay. So, there's this weird line that was kind of forced to be put in the movie by the censors. Oh, yeah. This is an interesting little bit of <laughs> history here. Yeah, so... Klaatu's revived, again, going with the whole Christ allegory. But he kind of mentions the fact that this is only temporary. I'm going to die soon, so I better get my message out. And she's like, why? And he's like, oh, well, the power of resurrection is only uh, reserved for the almighty spirit. Yes. Or something along the like, he doesn't know how long he has to live, and Mm -hmm. he he gives it up to a higher power. Exactly. And it's because... Um, Which kind of contradicts he's a man of science, and so, like, you wouldn't... Mm -hmm. You actually don't expect them to have, I don't, I don't know, like, a, a, to, to be a kind of theocratic society, I guess. <laughs> exactly. And the reason why this line was inserted is because the censors, this was the 1950s, you know, mm-hmm. any kind of non-Christian, non-capitalist message was kind of like, ooh, be careful. So they were like, <laughs> uh, let's... Well, ooh, be careful, because they thought it could be, like, secretly communistic. Mm-hmm. Subversive. Which, yeah. this movie is trying to be subversive. It's kind of anti-military. It's anti-war. Uh, yeah, to some extent. So they made them kind of put that line in, much to the uh, chagrin of the director and actor. Both of them didn't want that line in there, but to get the movie released, they had to put that in there. So Klaatu comes out of his ship and presents his message to the world, to all the scientists and all the military men. And basically, you know, he's like standing stock still in front of the camera and basically delivering it to the audience of people in the theater <laughs> listening. Yep. Basically, um, you're, you're destined for, for mutual destruction. So mm-hmm. and basically, either change your path towards peace and, and enlightenment or continue on your current path and be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of threatening. He's like implying that like even if you don't destroy yourselves, we'll destroy you instead because we see you yeah, as a threat. because you pose a danger to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Pretty uh, dim so, view of humanity. You think so? I yeah. I, in re- this first viewing, mm-hmm. although I'd I'd seen this clip before, mm-hmm. the clip of this final this final message to humanity. I don't know. I thought I thought it was somewhat optimistic. Or it struck a good balance. Again, I I like that word balance. Where mm-hmm. I think it's it's hopeful that humanity can kind of go turn towards the right course, but also it. You're right. Uh, he it does. He the actor does intone it with a with kind of a threatening. Exactly. It's a it's a serious message he has to say. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just like again, given the current week's events in the news, <laughs> maybe mm. that's why I'm giving it a more dim view. It's like, wow, this movie came out 60 years ago and nothing has changed. <laughs> We're still like pointing nukes at each other, being like, I've got the bigger dick. Well. I think I think the arc of history bends towards justice and progress and enlightenment. Um, Thank you, MLK. I can't remember who said that. Thank you, MLK. <laughs> Is that who said it? That's I think that's who said it. Or at least okay. that's who's credited with saying that. 
I know, yeah. It's, it's probably Einstein. Every quote, you've, every great quote you've ever heard, Einstein said it. No, Mark Twain. Mark Twain said it. Oh, that. that's true. You're right, yeah. So it's easy to get confused. They both have white shocks of hair. Yeah. There is actually a, a, a Einstein stand-in in this movie. That is true. We didn't even talk about the uh, world's most famous scientist, Professor Jacob Barnhart. Yes. Klaatu uh, wants to speak to... He initially asked to speak to every world leader, but because of our, our so-called petty disagreements, no <laughs> no leader will agree to meet together. Yeah. Um, so instead, he actually implores Robbie, like, who's the most interesting, who's the smartest man in the world? Who's the most interesting man I can talk to? Maybe that's that's how I can get this message out. And he says, oh, that's Dr., uh, what's it, Bacher? Uh, Professor Bernhardt. 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 Bonhart. I was about to say Bonhoeffer, the <laughs> other philosopher. Anyway, so, so yeah. And conveniently, I mean, kinda... and conveniently enough, he lives right here in D.C. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's essentially a stand-in for Einstein, who also warned of nuclear prolif- proliferation. Mm-hmm. And you could see um, the lead actor, Michael Rennie, bears a striking resemblance <laughs> to uh, Dr. Oppenheimer, one of the leaders of the... Manhattan Project and the developers of the atomic bomb, and he he also has regrets and yeah, or he also expressed regrets about uh, nuclear proliferation and um, mutually assured destruction and ideas like that. Mm-hmm. So, and one of the progressive things in this movie is Professor Barnhart tries to get this whole coalition of scientists, again rational people, together to hear this message that Klaatu has for them, and they're all very multinational and very multiracial. Which I thought was kind of impressive for a 1950s movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I goofed on the French stereotype earlier, but mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. There's an Indian scientist, and mm-hmm. there's a there's a female an scientist, scientist, a female scientist. Yeah, and they're not. <laughs> although, which is so strange because temptation... biologically, women aren't good at science. <laughs> Google. No, they have Google different brains. It. Oh, that's true. <laughs> women like talking. <laughs> that's why we're, they're not we're good goofing at science. somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> That's an, that's another current event that won't date this episode, I'm sure. But we're we're just elucidating on what some Google engineers think, apparently. Exactly. Or at least one hateful Google Google engineer thinks. Let's not stereotype. Oh no, sorry. Yeah, let's not suppress his free speech. I'm sorry. And let's not stereotype Google engineers, guys. Okay, not all Google engineers. No, no. Hashtag not all Google engineers. <laughs> In any event, you're right. They could have been tempted to use visual shorthand and put the put the the Indian scientist in a Sangeet or something like that. Exactly. But, put this, I don't think that's the right word, but anyway. Put him in a turban. turban. <laughs> no, that's not even the right thing. That's not a turban with the some sheiks wear. In any event, sorry. Sheiks? I think you mean yeah. Sikhs. Sikhs, my bad. Wow. We're pretty ignorant, aren't we? <laughs> um, you're coming off pretty ignorant. I do it in, with irony. <laughs> in any event. Yes. It's a brilliant movie. I think worth checking out, in spite of, you know, uh, some t- technical demerits. Um, you know, not the most not the most thrilling experience for a, an audience sixty years later, but still great. I think it would be a good movie to watch with a group of friends. Yeah, and maybe you could talk about it later. Mm-hmm. I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> good for good in university lectures. If we have any, you know, <laughs> university lecturers listening. It's like a fun little riff tracks kind of thing. It is kind of funny that like we've talked about you know, mystery science theater, they've never touched this movie. Cause again, this is kind of a classic and it should be. Well, no, yeah, they wouldn't and should probably shouldn't. Yeah. It's a good indication of its skill or its craft. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to goof on it. There's no like technical, <laughs> there's no huge technical flubs that you point and make sarcastic comments. at. I guess, but it, I mean, there, it, 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 there, again, like the datedness, I think is kind of easy to goof at. The fact that Klaatu yeah. is Mr. Perfect, leave it to Beaver. <laughs> no, I disagree. All I right. think it. I think in spite of that, yeah, I, it's a very admirable film. I was afraid you were gonna dislike it. Why? I don't know. I just come into the assumption now that you just hate every movie. Oh, excuse me. Well, yeah, daddy. my standards are high, but come on, I, I enjoy things. Eh. I enjoy the right things. Oh, the right things. Yeah, and not your not your crappy romantic comedies that keep making me want to watch. <laughs> <sighs> First of all, they're not crappy. How dare you? And you're going to watch Moonstruck one of these days, okay? <laughs> Cher is phenomenal. Sure, she is a national treasure. How dare you? <laughs> we do not pretend to have achieved perfection. But we do have a system. And it works. I came here to give you these facts. 
It is no concern of ours how you run your own planet. But if you threaten to extend your violence, this earth of yours will be reduced to a burned-out cinder. Your choice is simple. Join us and live in peace, or pursue your present course and face obliteration. We shall be waiting for your answer. The decision rests with you. Well, maybe we should talk about other great movies, shan't we? Yes. Well, they don't necessarily have to be movies, bro. That is true. In, in our closing segment, we open it up to all forms of entertainment. Yes, they just happen to be movies this week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, not for me. Anyway, let's get to it. Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Spotlight. Yes. Oh, wait, I thought you were doing a movie. Sorry, my No. Oh, okay. Oh, you're... Well, no, I got a, I got a TV show this week for you, bro. Oh, thanks, bro. Yep. <laughs> thanks, bro. Uh, a, t- a TV show I didn't even like like that much, but I want to talk about it. <laughs> Is this an anti-spotlight? Uh, no. Okay. It's not a complete anti-spotlight. It, it'll really depend on your tastes. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy it because I enjoy crime fiction, so... Gotcha. This is uh, the TV show called Ozark. Have you heard of this? Yes. It was released earlier this summer. I finally got a chance to binge it. I believe the alternative title is Jason Bateman Breaks Bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this show was not conceived out of an artist or artist desperately wanted to say something. <laughs> Instead, it was conceived by Netflix Math. <laughs> Our said, algorithms show that we have yeah. Jason Bateman on contract. We can get him for cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and story-wise, we should probably do Breaking Bad again. Yeah, that's our, our algorithm show, our highest-rated shows are Breaking Bad, Arrested Development, and House of Cards. So why don't we combine <laughs> the brilliant white man trying to stave off uh, violent drug dealers with schemes <laughs> of Breaking Bad, um, yep. a hapless Jason Bateman in a button-down shirt. We'll take that from Arrested Development, and we'll take the blue-on-gray color palette of House of Cards. <laughs> I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> No, Netflix didn't make a huge mistake in this one. Just a lot of a lot of little mistakes. How about that? Okay, all right. So I'll I'll get to what I like about the show, and that's this. That's the main storyline. It's about a family of four, whose patriarch is actually a money launderer for a huge Mexican drug cartel. Mm-hmm. Or actually, it might be Panamanian. In any event, it's a drug cartel. They're all brown. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> now who's the ignorant one? Elevating the discourse, Jonathan <laughs> Mantell. <laughs> Anyway, and I like I like the the family chemistry there, or at least I, I like I like that that particular unit. Mm-hmm. Those four actors are great. Jason Bateman is good again, playing hapless, just playing it as straight as he does in Arrested Development. Where does he less, f- slightly less intentional goofiness going on around him? Where does he fall on like the uh, kind of uh, emasculated man scale? Emasculated man, I think he plays emasculated very well. Yeah, I, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so what? What I prefer about him compared to uh, Brian Cranston, for instance, is there's so much intensity and anger behind Cranston's performance at times. That is true. Yeah, here, here, uh, Jason Bateman plays a little bit more of a cooler customer, so mm. that's more interesting. Gotcha. Um, again, both both brilliant white men who <laughs> <laughs> desperately need to stave off violent drug dealers deserve all the Emmys. All the Emmys. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I tell you who does deserve an Emmy is Laura Linney, because if you cast if Laura Linney's any... in the show, yeah. Oh, cool! All right, now I now I kind of want to check it out. <laughs> yeah, if you're and if you're casting a, a housewife who needs to put on a, a happy face, mm. you go straight to Miss Linney. Of course, she's this is right in her wheelhouse. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, kids are good, even though their whole lives are uprooted. I mean, it's not their performances aren't too histrionic. Mm-hmm. Or you know, the there's a teenage daughter. She's not like I can't move. I have Instagram followers. It's not it's not that silly. <laughs> But it's kind of the the rest of the show that's that where it kind of goes wrong because there gotcha. are multiple plot lines and and the rest of them are just stupid and ridiculous. <laughs> um, there's a, a redneck family lives out of a trailer park on the on the side of the Lake of the Ozarks. Um, uh-huh. They're led by a 21 year old woman whose performance is terrible. I don't put, even want to remember her name. She's, put them on the put them on the Gone Girl scale. Where are they on the Gone Girl scale? On the Gone Girl scale, uh, actually pretty similar because they talk like writers too. Oh, okay. they they will they will they will spin you a tale. <laughs> <laughs> they will spin you a tale and and drop a few and drop the occasional four syllable word that'll make you go like what? <laughs> you dropped out of high school. How the heck do you know? Like. <laughs> 
Why are you dropping the word disobedient? <laughs> um, there's also a dogged FBI agent who's pursuing Jason Bateman. Oh, dear. And his money laundering, yeah. Which is uh, one of the most embarrassing attempts to include a gay character I've ever seen. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it almost, it almost borderlines uh, on offensive. <laughs> I'm going to get to this money launderer. <laughs> No, it's it's not that bad. It, what what makes it worse is that, or what makes it bad, is that there uh, he has a his partner in the FBI is also gay. Oh, okay. And they have and they have a, a bit of history. <laughs> and, oh, so partner double meaning. Exactly. Yes. Clever. And um, what could have maybe added extra dimension to the characters instead makes them look like you know ninnies who can't get over their breakup. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yeah, I I always hate that when it's. I call it the... Well, John, this is prestige television. We have to get a gay character in there. No, no, no. To show how inclusive that. we are. No, no, no. It's not that. It's, 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 I call it the Grey's Anatomy uh, personification of TV. Like, Quantico is probably the worst example of this, mm-hmm. where, you know, it's like, these are dogged FBI agents. You know, they have to capture terrorists and save people. But also, it's like, oh, I can't believe he slept with my sister. You know, it's like <laughs> they can't get past their petty differences for two seconds so they can, you know, save lives. Yeah. And I guess, you know, this money laundering, it's a little less, uh, the uh, it's the stakes are a little bit less, but, you know, it's just, like, do you really have to, like, make the personal stakes equal? Like, don't even bother. They yeah, have a job again, to do. Yeah, it's completely, it's completely superfluous. Um, mm-hmm. and, and again, it was only there to include, because in Netflix math and in the Netflix <laughs> algorithm, they said, <laughs> well, these Emmy-nominated shows have a, have a homosexual character, so <laughs> we'll, run, we'll run our random number generator, and oh, it came on this character. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then as what I, <laughs> when you're binging a TV show... Mm-hmm. Usually they kind of there's a there's a bit of a dip in the middle and then it gets better it ramps up as the as the uh, as we near the season finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ozark kind of has the opposite problem it really kind of peters out towards the end. <laughs> well, how many episodes is it? So it's only ten. Okay. Uh, episodes clock in at around fifty to sixty minutes, uh, except for the season finale, which is eighty. Yeah. Well, um, I've noticed includes one of the most and also includes one of the most grossly manipulative things I've ever seen on television. I hated that. <laughs> See so, again. Thanks, you thanks don't... for that little. Thanks for that sour little aftertaste. After that, doesn't sound like you have a lot of things to recommend about this show. No, I mean, because I, I, I'm just being negative. Let's say. <laughs> okay. I'm just being negative because yeah, the the show takes a dip in quality. Mm-hmm. Again, the core of the show, the family of four that it follows, is great, and I wish it kind of stuck to that. But okay. Um, if you again, I just you know watch all. T- if you watch it, will you enjoy it? Probably. Um, will it enrich your life in any way? No, but you know, you're welcome. Welcome to give it a try. How about that? Especially if you like if you like crime shows. I love crime. So well, the reason I'm, why. Sorry, I love crime fiction. I don't love crime. <laughs> crime is bad. Crack is whack. The reason why I asked how many episodes it was is because I noticed Netflix is still trying to figure out the perfect length of a show. Mm-hmm. It used to be like 13 episodes, but then they realized that's too long and it kind of sags in the middle. Yeah. So then they moved it to 10, and then, like, their most popular shows, like Stranger Things, that's only eight episodes, and it doesn't feel like it kind of sags at all. And you'll notice that, you know, their Marvel shows, like uh, Daredevil and Iron Fist, they're all 13 episodes, but their Defender show's going to only be eight. Again, mm-hmm. to kind of keep the action up, keep everything going, keep yeah. everything moving. So I was kind of wondering how much this, how long this show goes on. Yeah. So that it You're doesn't feel like it the... sags. Yeah. You're interested in the math behind it, too. Exactly, yeah. Because, again, yeah. Netflix is always experimenting. Yeah. Well, again, I wish <laughs> I wish there was an emotional core to this. Exactly. Because, yeah, all these shows just feel like homework. They feel like, well, they feel like they were put together by algorithms and not, like, actual people who really want to say something. Mm-hmm. Experimentation, you know, that's... I use that word positively, but also derisively. Experimentation. Yay, trying new things. Experimenting cold and distant figuring yeah. out the exact formula yes <laughs> to reach a to reach a pre-agreed conclusion mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that we must always follow and must not be <laughs> <laughs> must not deviate yes <laughs> well i have a movie for you this week greg that okay. will not enrich your life at all but it is a hell of a lot of fun <laughs> okay this past week nathan rabin wrote a piece for the guardian okay it's nice to hear that somebody hired him <laughs> I, I think it's uh, for freelance, Greg. I well, yeah, I know. I, when I say hire, I mean actually gave him an assignment. How about that? <laughs> so he wrote about kind of 
the trend of like these original sci-fi flops you know in the wake of valerian he talked about kind of more ambitious movies that kind of came out and flopped immediately and he included one of my favorite movies the 2004 movie sky captain and the world of tomorrow <laughs> yeah you <laughs> preach it brother <laughs> <laughs> this movie i don't know why i think it just for me it just gets by on its sense of place and what it wants to do even though i know in my head it's dumb <laughs> in my head i know this movie is so dumb but i just love it because again it's it's an adventure movie and you just get well, kind of swept up in the action you know it's like for me it's like indiana jones it's obviously trying to ape the style of like a 1920s serial but what's great about it is it's not it starts off as a 1920s serial and then kind of goes into like the 1930s and 40s it has this weird like time progression where okay. the where the color all of a sudden starts to enter more into it the colors get more saturated because again it's mm -hmm. practically black and white at the very beginning but mm -hmm. as the story progresses they go to, they end up in like a tropical island so then the colors really start to pop and then the evil robots that the villain uses they get more futuristic at the at the beginning of the movie they're like these wind-up toys they're very articulated like and then by the end they're like hovering around on like magnetic fields and they have laser guns it's like i don't know why it's just it, it knows exactly what it wants to be it has no ambition to kind of be more than it is uh-huh and i just love it for that that's john i mean again preach it sell this movie bro uh, so i mean i i just gotta say that's fine i mean you can love a pulpy fun piece of entertainment that just hits you square in the eyes so you know go yeah. for it yeah. don't be ashamed of it uh it was one of the kind of earliest experiments in shooting completely on green screen yes but to kind of cover up the mistakes and kind of you know obviously you can't recreate a real physical set instead what they did was stylized it mm -hmm. so that's why well, I, I know yeah it's it's a uh... It has that soft focus kind of Vaseline on the lens look. <laughs> it does. Yeah. And again, like the colors are very muted. And I don't know why. It's just, it's very absorbing to me. Just the production mm. design of it all. And the, again, you're not really invested in the characters. Like Jude Law's character is literally Sky Captain. He doesn't get a name. <laughs> <laughs> Giovanni Rabisi plays like his little Q. His Dex mm -hmm. is his name. And, he, you know, he gives him, like, a ray gun. Like, one of those classic ray guns that looks like a rocket. And it shoots rings that are, like... <laughs> yeah, just... Angelina Jolie is the <laughs> is the dogged pilot with an eye patch, you know. Mm -hmm. She's, like, yeah, a I mean... sky pirate. It's just, yeah. it's just goofy fun. Yeah, embrace the silliness. That's fine, John. I mean, mm -hmm. I know we aspire to be intellectual on this show. But it, <laughs> if you genuinely enjoy a silly pulpy action movie mm -hmm. action adventure just uh you know don't don't feel guilty about it i know it's just but you know it flopped in the box office critics just really didn't care for it oh that's that's the mark of quality i don't know it's just like i, I feel kind of embarrassed like almost as embarrassed as don't be i know but you know it's like the same thing with like the pirates of the caribbean movies i love the pirates of the caribbean's movies for the same reason I just get absorbed in the world, and I get caught up in the spectacle, and it's like my brain shuts off, and I don't even wonder, like, why are they fighting on a giant water wheel? Who cares? It's amazing. <laughs> okay, well, that's uh, well, that'll that'll take umbrage with is your love <laughs> of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies because they're <laughs> bloated messes. But in terms of the plucky little sky captain of the world of tomorrow, I'll give it to you. You know, yeah, uh, it was written and directed by Kerry Conrad, who is uh, editor by training. And sadly, he never has done anything since. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a shame. So please, seek it out and give it some love. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is one thing, the other envelope it kind of pushed. Mm -hmm. It was one of these early movies that revived a dead actor. Oh, yeah. So the villain, uh, Dr. Totenkopf, we don't see him for all of the movie. And then in the end, it's revealed to be a revived Laurence Olivier. <laughs> Now, I can't remember, did they take old footage, or they took, how did that work? They they took old footage, and then they kind of, like, made it, like, a projection, like, a giant, like, holographic projection of his head. So, again, it's very kind of, like, stylized with, like, lightning bolts, and it's kind of choppy, like, you know, like, it's a bad recording or something like that. That's how they accomplished it. It's okay. not like, you know, Rogue One, where they, like, tried to digitally puppeteer, a, you know. Yeah, they, they turned it into a <laughs> Mass Effect cutscene. Exactly. So, mm. Again, like... That was a diss. That was a burn, by the way. <laughs> no, no, no. I know. I know. <laughs> Rogue One is I'm not sorry. that good. I'm sorry. There's some Mass Effect 
fans out there who <laughs> take that as a compliment. <laughs> I fear. But yes, sky capping the world of tomorrow. Seek it out. Have fun. Yes. Good have times. Fun. Yes, exactly. Nice. Have fun. You know how else you can have fun, John? Maybe getting on Twitter and Facebook. Yes. And liking our page and following us and retweeting us and being just best buds. Yes, and reaching out to us with recommendations and your thoughts on the show and yes. your thoughts on these movies. Mm-hmm. Let's have fun, we love, guys. We love thoughts. Yes. <laughs> we absorb we love people. We love thoughts. Yep. <laughs> we love thinking them. Mm-hmm. We love explaining them. And then, if you're listening to this on Stitcher, maybe you could give us a little review and a subscription. Maybe you're yeah. listening to this on Apple Podcasts, and you can like and subscribe and give us a five-star yeah. review. You could be listening to us on uh, SoundCloud. Give us a follow and a little heart thing. Yeah, if SoundCloud's around by the time it's it's going to be around, it's fine. (laughs) They're pulling out of this tailspin, I'm sure. Yeah, great. (laughs) And then, if you just want to reach out to us directly, you can always email us. AspiringSnobs at gmail.com John, what are we looking at next week? Next week, we'll be reviewing Chariots of Fire. Yes. Dun, dun, oh, dun, baby, dun, we're going to run. Even though the Olympics aren't this year, we're going <laughs> to... We're not going to wait another four years for the Absolutely not, to no. watch. <laughs> Although, technically, it's three. Where is it next year? Or next year. Next, The next Olympiad is in Tokyo. That's right. Didn't they just do one? They did one in Nagasaki. <laughs> uh, John, that was uh, almost 20 years ago. Nah, whatever. <laughs> I know time is a, a flat circle now with how old we're getting, but... Uh, didn't they just do an Olympics? <laughs> God, where are my pills? <laughs> On that cheerful note. Where am I, Bethany? <laughs> John, take a little Valium, you know, brighten up your day. <laughs> for everyone out there, thank you for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. <laughs> <laughs>